So many of us go through life wanting more, believing if we just had more stuff, more things, more money, then we'd be happy. The problem is, we don't realize that what we have isn't who we are. Instead of trying to get rich, we must realize that we already are rich. So with God's help, it's time to be rich in what matters most. Well, good news. We're in week four, final week of our series, How to Be Rich, and uh, we've made it. We are officially not talking about money today. I know we're all relieved about that. We made it. We crossed the finish line. And so today we kind of get to culminate with what this whole series, what this whole thing has been about, how to be rich in what really matters and what matters most. And when we have our finances in check, when we have an understanding of who we are in God's sight, when all of those things come into play, then all of a sudden we're free to live and to act and behave in the way that God has called us to live. And so that's our focus today is to shift our focus away from what we've been talking about with managing our finances and to actually doing the things that God has put before us. You may recall that we've been walking through one particular verse or a series of verses in 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'll remind us of that here. In verse 17, Paul writes to Timothy and he says, command those who are rich, which is you and I, in this present world, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. And so that's been our goal in this series, is to kind of walk through those verses, apply them personally to ourselves, and now we're at kind of the end here, and we get to focus in on not the original commands, but now what we're supposed to do because we now see ourselves in this light. How do we take hold of life that is truly life? How do we apply those areas within that verse to every single thing that we do and every every single thing that we come in contact with? Because when our wealth is properly placed, when we understand that money promises but only God provides, then we're free to do what he's actually called us to do, to make a difference in this world. And Paul affirms this. He says, hey, tell those guys, remind those guys, speak to them and say that just because they have riches in this world that they should push forward, not to trust in those things as we've been talking about, but to put their trust in God because God already gives us everything, everything for our enjoyment. And so we don't have to spend our mental energy, our physical energy, our wheels spinning, chasing after those things. Instead, we can trust in the work of God, not in our work to provide for us. We don't trust in our jobs. We don't trust in our bank accounts. We don't trust in what we can manufacture with our hands. Instead, we put our trust in God as our provider. And when we do that, then we can be rich in what matters most. So today we're going to spend some time walking through the tail end of that verse. We're actually going to use a verse that's important to us here at the porch, Matthew 5.16. If you'd like to turn there, if you brought your Bibles, Matthew 5.16. Otherwise, if you'd like to borrow one of our Bibles, you can slip your hand up. Our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. If you don't happen to own a Bible, uh, please keep this. It's our gift to you. We just want you to have God's Word in your life. We're going to be on page 456. 456. I'm not making that up. If you think I Raise your hand and get a Bible. It's an important passage, right? See, so it's an important passage for us because Jesus has this story. You remember, he says, you don't, you don't light a lantern and you don't, you don't take it and you don't hide it under the table, right? You don't put it down where nobody can see it. Instead, you put it on a table. Remember this story where its light can illuminate the entire room. And then Jesus draws this fantastic application from it in Matthew 5.16. He says this, 
In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, take the light that's within you and shine it around, and then by the things that you do, people will come to see God. They'll only see him in you, but it says that they'll actually come to perhaps believe in him. They'll glorify God because of how they see you acting. And so when it comes to sharing our faith, to witnessing, to inviting someone to church, maybe you're already thinking about Christmas, maybe inviting some neighbors or family members, it can get a little weird sometimes, right? Is that honest? We can feel a little shaken when we go to have a conversation about church. And maybe part of the problem is that we're inviting people to an event instead of inviting them to follow a person. Maybe instead of inviting them to know and come to understand this God and this Jesus that we serve, we're instead just inviting them to come to an event. And there's no power in an event. There's nothing significant about a moment in time. What there is significance in is the person in which we follow. And so Jesus says, hey, when you use your good deeds, your actions, the light that you have, people will know God. They'll see God through the working of the things that you do through your actions. He says they'll even come to praise him. They'll come to glorify him simply because of who you are, the way that you conduct yourselves, and the things that actually happen. So maybe instead of inviting someone to church, we should offer to babysit their kids or offer to help them with a medical expense or find some way to come alongside them and bless and encourage them. Right? Maybe instead of fighting on Facebook and trying to advance our own viewpoints and have those conversations in an argumentative style, we should just act out in love and let the light of Jesus, let the light that is within us shine out and illuminate every single relationship that we have. See, because when we act differently, when we act counter to the way that the world expects us to act, it causes people to ask questions. It causes them to see our good deeds, to see the way in which God has wired us, the actions that we take, and to ask questions, and to lean in, and to go, what makes you different? Why do you think about things differently than the way that I do? And here's the problem. I think that far too often, we simply go along with our lives. We go about doing the things that we already do, and we simply invite Jesus and invite church to tag along with us. We have our dreams, our objectives, those things that we want to do, and we simply invite Jesus to accompany us on our way to our goal. So we buy the things that we want to buy, we invest in the things that we want to invest in, and instead of submitting them before God, we simply invite Jesus to bless where we're going instead of finding out where God is working and coming alongside of him. I think we make a cognitive decision to agree with the story that's told to us about Jesus. We just agree. We say, yeah, I believe that. I think that's True, And I don't want to undermine belief, but I think that we have to do more than simply agreeing with Scripture. I think we need to spend more time to come face-to-face with this reality that while belief is all that is required for salvation, the result of that belief is a changed life. And it's not simply enough to agree with Jesus, but we have to live as Jesus lived. We can't just agree conceptually. We can't just say, yeah, I think that's a good idea. It has to impact the things that we do. We have to live as Jesus lived. 1 John 2 says that that clearly. Whoever claims to live in him, God, in Christ, must live as Jesus did. So what does that mean? What do we do with that? Do we all become Amish, right? Shun electricity, get really good at carpentry, and uh, just decide that that's how we're going to live? Like, that's a carpenter joke. Do you see? Jesus was a... It's okay. You'll get it later. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to live like he lived? Does it mean we get a blue blue cloak and a sash, right, and grow out our hair real long? What does it mean to live like Jesus lived? 
while I think this verse in 1 Timothy isn't complete, I don't think it's all-encompassing, I think it's a really good direction for us to start living like Jesus lived. So let's just walk through the tail end of that verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, first of all, do good. Right? In the very simplest of terms, do good. If you're doing something bad, stop it and do something good, right? When it comes to those actions, those attitudes, those things that we have, a great place to start is simply to start doing something good. But remember, it's not just about not doing bad stuff. It's about physically and actively taking a positive note and doing something good. Romans 12, verse 17 says it this way. It says, don't repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Skip down to verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Last couple of weeks, I've been privileged to have a number of conversations about safety and security, especially in view of the gun violence, right? Two weeks ago, you may remember, it seems like a lot longer than that, but there was a shooting on a Sunday morning in Sutherland Springs, Texas. Even after that, there's been more violence, more things going on. And I got this question a lot, right? What would happen if that happened at, at our church? What would we do? What would you do? How would we respond to those situations? And we've got to have conversations from various political sides about gun control. Do you think that we should restrict guns, that nobody should have guns? Do you think we should give more guns, right? Every man, woman, and child for themselves. How do we react in the face of what is unapologetically evil in this world? See, when it comes to following Christ, we, we can't just agree that belief in Jesus is important. It actually has to impact our actions, how we fundamentally live in this world, and we must live as Jesus lived. And the way that we think too often is if we follow Jesus and we do things, then those are automatically good things simply because we follow Jesus. It's not what the scripture says, and that's not what we've seen played out in life and in experience after experience. It says, don't break even, right? Don't repay evil for evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. So here's a question for you, for us to wrestle with. What does it look like to repay evil with good in view of ISIS? in view of terrorism, in view of domestic violence, in view of systemic racial prejudice, not only in our country but around the world? What does it look like to overcome evil with good in view of the tragic shooting in Las Vegas and Sutherland Springs and even this past week in Rancho Tehama, California? How do we overcome evil with good and not repay evil for evil? I skipped a verse in there. I skipped a couple verses, but Romans 12, 19 maybe spells it out the clearest in there. It says, don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God. For it is written, for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. In a world full of injustice, it's incredibly important not just to be silent. We don't hide behind our religious convictions. We don't just cloister here on Sunday mornings and hope that the world just goes away. Instead, it's important to recognize the place and the work of God in these situations and to step up in faith and to not agree conceptually with Jesus, but to live out in that way what he lived. Not just to stop evil, but to do good. To make room for the Lord, to practice what we preach. And again, if we serve a God who is living and active, it ought to invade our thought process as it comes to these very large, very real questions. So what does it look like to do good in your life? I don't know. Have you asked God? 
Have you taken the time to sit before the situations in your life? Perhaps they're evil, perhaps they're neutral, perhaps it's just life. And have you sat down and prayerfully or scripturally exposed and gone, God, how do I do good in a world that I see so bad? Have you made time to stop and bring God into the situations that you have to ask his light to shine in your darkness, no matter which issues we're talking about, family, career, friendships, neighbors, right? Anything that happens during this week, have you taken the time to stop and to ask God to bring his goodness into whatever situation you faced and then acted accordingly on it? How do we do good? Because the fundamental issue is that what's right and wrong, what is good and evil, isn't ultimately determined by you and I. If you believe what I believe about this book, about this holy scripture, then we believe that God has already identified for us what is right, what is true, what is good, and what are the things to be avoided. And it's not just enough to agree with those things conceptually and say, yeah, I think that's right too. We must live as Jesus lived. First way to do that, I think, is to do good. Not just stop doing bad, but to invest in in sowing good deeds into our world. But the second comes along in those verses. Number two is to be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good deeds. Not just right and wrong beliefs, but the actions that we take. I love the, the play on words here. Maybe you picked it up over the course of weeks, right? He says, command those who are rich in this present world in 1 Timothy six seventeen. He says, don't just be rich in money. Blah, who cares about that? That's boring. Instead, be rich in good deeds. Be wealthy. Be extravagant. Be abundant when it comes to good deeds. So here's a question for us this morning. When it comes to your deeds, the things that you do, not that they save us, but they are an indicator of our relationship with God. When it comes to your good deeds, are you rich, middle, or poor? See, when it comes to our wealth, right, we've been talking about this, it's really easy to know where we stand by the house that we have, by the cars that we drive, by the hobbies that we invest in. You can pretty much tell your socioeconomic status. We tend to sometimes wear it on our sleeves. But when it comes to your good deeds, when it comes to the actions that you take, the ways in which we invest into our neighbors, people who believe like us or who believe differently than us, would you say that you're rich, middle class, or poor? And consequently, how do you know? Scripture says to be rich in good deeds. Don't just be rich in money. That's easy to do. That's worldly stuff, and God knows that you need it. As a matter of fact, he's already given you everything for your enjoyment. God provides, not money. The problem isn't our riches. The problem is that when we're just rich in our bank accounts and poor in our actions, that we're poor in the things that we do to invest in the world around us. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here and try to illustrate this. I would say that most of us don't own our homes in here. You might say, of course we own our homes, right? We have a mortgage that we pay every single month, therefore we own it, but that illustrates my point exactly. Some people may rent. Some people would say that they own their home, but really when push comes to shove, who owns your home? The bank owns your home, right? So we buy ourselves something that we can't afford and we carve out this little space that we can afford monthly payments and maybe someday, 30 or 15 years from now, we'll actually say that we outright own our house, but more than likely we'll sell it and upgrade or do something before then. So in other words, when we say that we own our place, we're somewhat exaggerating. I won't say lying because that has a buzzword with it, right? But we're just kind of going, yeah, we own our home. The bank certainly wishes we owns our home. They want us liable for it, but there's this bit of inflation that goes on in our language. When it comes to our good deeds, how often do we do the same thing? 
because I'm a good person, because I'm a Christ follower, because I'm a Christian. Therefore, God is with me in everything that I do. And so as I go through life, everything that I do is just good and blessed, and I don't have to try that hard. Instead of actually investing in and figuring out what is a good action that I can take, what are good deeds that we can do. It's not inflated, it's not conflated, it's not misrepresented in how it's applied, but it's actually a good deed in and of itself. Because again, by our good deeds, by the things that we do, our light shines. And people will glorify God because of what we do is indicative of the nature of our hearts and our relationship with God. We inflate our good deeds. We say, I'm a good person, therefore I do good things. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah is kind of dealing with the nation of Israel. Remember, these are God's chosen people, and they kind of adopted this same attitude. They said, well, we're God's people, therefore whatever we do is blessed by God, right? We don't necessarily have to follow all the rules. We don't have to do all those things. God's with us because we're his people. And Isaiah was waking them up to this fact that because you're God's people doesn't mean that you get to do less good deeds. It doesn't mean you get to get off the hook. As a matter of fact, the bar is higher for us. Here's what he says to the nation of Israel in Isaiah 58, verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, and to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? I think that we might all be guilty of being rich in the passage in 1 Timothy, but poor when it comes to the good deeds spelled out in Isaiah 58.6. When's the last time you loosed a chain of injustice or set the oppressed free, right? Or broken a yoke, right? Be rich in doing good. And again, that's all well and good conceptually, right? I don't know the last time, though, that I saw anybody with a yoke. Like, I don't remember that. And, and oppression is a lot more hidden in today's day and age than it was when Isaiah is talking, right? There's no slaves at my job. It just doesn't happen in the way that it's conveyed in the scripture. It's hidden and it's nuanced and it's way over the ocean somewhere where people are exploited, but it's not here in front of me. And so we get disconnected. We get disconnected with our good deeds, with doing the things that God has called us to do. So how do we break down this? How do we find ways to do good, not by simply stopping to do bad, but by actually being rich in good deeds? I think the next part of the verse spells it out for us. It says simply this, be generous. Be generous. Recognize that because we belong to God, God has given us everything that we need for our enjoyment. And because of that, we don't have to guard our stuff. We don't have to protect our empire. Instead, we can release and trust God to follow the way in which he's let us. As I was researching for this sermon, I came across a church and I was listening to his sermon and he challenged his people to be generous in their tipping. They live in Long Beach, California, and so tipping is a way of life for many, many people there. And he said, hey, 20% is the minimum, right? That's what's acceptable for good service. So let's be generous in our faith and in our application of these verses and let's tip 30%, which is crazy and nuts, and all kinds of out there things. And in Long Beach, California, is anybody really even going to pay attention to those things? He would tell story after story about how he would show up to a coffee shop, and because of his tip, they would say, hey, do you go to that one church? Yeah, everybody from that church tips 30%. That's how we know you. They became known in their community, not by their theology, but by their generosity. Their light shined and people glorified God. They recognized their church home simply because they were generous. What does it look like to be generous, to let our light shine in that way, to have the opportunity to give that, to step behind an organization that's something that you're uh, passionate about, that you're excited about, and to be 
generous, right? Maybe it's As One Ministries. That's something that we partner with here locally. Maybe it's uh, the CCLC and our school. We've got some fundraising opportunities there, and those are just the ones in-house. What about Denver Rescue Mission, the hundreds of other great organizations in our backyards? What would it look like to be generous in those areas? Now, I know what you're thinking, because I'm thinking the same thing, right? Last week, we just talked about tithing and how we don't have money for that, and now we're supposed to be generous over and above those things? Yes. How? I don't know. I don't have a stinging clue. I don't know how we do it in our family. I don't know how your family does it, but I know that it's in God's word and that it's a command for us. What does it look like for you to have space to be generous? Maybe it's the next time you upgrade your phone. You don't go with the Cadillac version. You take one step down. Maybe it's the next time you upgrade your car. You don't go with the Cadillac version. You take one step down. Maybe we buy sports equipment used instead of new. Maybe just because we can afford something doesn't mean we do afford something. Maybe we make room for generosity as a family value, as an individual value, as a marker of our faith. And in our generosity, we shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ. Because godly wisdom says stuff like this. I ran across this quote this week, that there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. When it comes to our accumulating of stuff, are you accumulating more and more and more, or are you desiring perhaps less? No one wants to hear this, right? This is not the American dream, because we're rich, we've worked hard to be rich, and we like it that way. And that's fine. It's just not Jesus. Jesus calls us to live countercultural to the upward direction of the world. And saints throughout the years have termed this downward mobility. To follow after Christ is to push back against the up and to the left ways of society. Instead, go down and to the right. To be a servant, not a master. And if you're a red-blooded American, that's offensive. And I'm sorry, but I didn't say it. Jesus does. What does it look like to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous? And lastly, of course, to be willing to share. Right? We've all hated sharing since we were tiny, especially if you had a sibling. Amen? Parents, level with me for just a second. How many times a week, a day, an hour, a minute do you have to have the sharing conversation? Right? I know it's your toy, I know it's brand new, but you've got to share with your friends, you've got to share with your brother, I know that he stole it from you, but you've got to share, 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 share. Parents, level with me. How do you do it sharing? Right? We instruct our kids in these values that we're not to be owning and possessive of our stuff, and yet when it comes to my stuff and my things, I don't want anybody to break it. It's my stuff, I keep my stuff nice, and when I share it out, inevitably it comes back broken. But the reality is that one of the ways that we push back is to be willing to share. And it's not just things, right? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you've both had a tough day, and both of you deserve a break, but you're going to be willing to share the time spent preparing dinner and to give your spouse the break first, right? Maybe it's at work and giving somebody else credit for something that you worked on or were heavily involved in. What does it look like to be willing to share? And yes, it applies to our possessions as well, to loan things out to our neighbors, to help with Christmas decorations and borrow ladders and all of those kinds of things. And here's what I know about you. I know that if somebody came to your house and knocked on your door and asked you for a cup of sugar, that you would give them the entire bag of sugar because you're generous people, right? When's the last time somebody knocked on your door for a cup of sugar? 
doesn't happen anymore, right? The world is just fundamentally different. So how do we move into those spaces and to find ourselves in places where we can offer up our service to our neighbors, where we can be present in the areas where they're working and simply there decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to be willing to share. Can I come alongside you and share your time, share your burden? Can I invest in what you're doing? Can I help you with the Christmas lights, the Christmas decorations? Can I loan you my ladder? How can we be willing to share as it comes to this world that we live in? Because the reality of where we live and the money that we make is that we can afford to buy all the stuff that we need. But as we've talked about throughout this series, the risk there isn't just our bank accounts, but it's our very souls and trusting in God as our provider. And so if you've decided to follow God, that doesn't mean that we show up here on Sunday mornings. It means that we actively seek and find ways to serve and come alongside Jesus and our friends and our neighbors in every every single thing that we do. That's how we push back against the tide of worldliness and how we be rich in things that really, truly matter in this world. No, I don't know about you, but I find that an object lesson uh, is always helpful to illustrate. What does this look like to be played out and spelled out in people's lives? And so I'm going to embarrass somebody this morning. I'm going to invite Roger and Sandy Buckley to come up. And uh, we're going to talk real quick about the applications of this. Come on up, guys. Roger, uh, Roger and Sandy have been at this church. We were just talking about this 28 years. Yeah. That, um, that is quite literally older than some of you. <laughs> uh, and so here's the deal. We've been talking, we've been having some conversations, and Roger and Sandy have been listening to the Lord for as long as I've been here, which is over a year and a half, and they have news to share, and uh, I'll let you share that unless you'd rather I share it. Roger's kind of hard to surprise, so we're kind of playing this by ear here, but I'm prepared to fill in all blanks, but I want to give you the opportunity to say what you'd like to say. Well, for the last um, probably almost four years, I've been feeling like God has been pulling me and uh, wanting me to move more into uh, working in ministry. And uh, I've worked in the corporate world for almost 28 years. And uh, so um, in, so we were, we've talked about what that looks like, and I've had different conversations with different people and, and uh, thought about nonprofit work and things like that. And really, where my heart is, is the local church. And really felt like working somewhere in a local church, large local church probably, being able to hire somebody that's not a pastor is probably the, the most appropriate place. And uh, so we have two kids in college, and we were thinking, well, when Lauren graduates, that's probably, like, probably the best time. You know, we'll, we'll have her through college, and if we need to move somewhere or something like that, uh, then, you know, we can do it then. Well, in May, I found out that uh, uh, there was going to be some restructuring in uh, my department at work, and my position was going to be eliminated at the end of the year. And so my response to that was, well, not my time, but your time, God. And uh, so I, for the past few months, just been reaching out to different people and, and connections that I have in, in different locations. And... and uh, just kind of through a surprise to me, I got a text from a pastor up in Greeley, and he said, 
hey, we have this position. I'm not sure if it would be something that you would be interested in or not, but uh, here it is, and, you know, let's talk. So Sandy and I talked about it. We prayed about it and really felt like that was the right situation for us. Um, so on December 3rd, I start at Generations Church in Greeley. I'm going to be doing basically their accounting finance work um, for the church. Uh, it's something we're, we're excited about that part of it. The, the difficult part is this part. Uh, we, have, we have known that this was coming for some time over the last two or three years, just probably because that we would, we would need to make a move and knowing that the hardest part in this whole process would be we're not going to be here at the porch any longer and all the relationships that, that we have built over the years and the friendships and just the family that we have here, that's, that's not going to be continuing in that same vein. But we are, we are so blessed. Um, we are so thankful for, for all of you and just what you mean to, to us. And our kids have spent their whole lives as part of this church. And I thought I was going to make it. Um, but just the impact that so many people have had on, on them and on us. We're so thankful. So there's just a couple things I guess I would say. One is thanks. And the other, the other thing is if you find this as your home and you're still wondering where your place is to serve, find it. I think of the, um, the parable of the talents and um, the five talents, the two talents, and the one talents. And, and if you're that person that has the one talent that you feel that's all you have and you're holding on to it, you're missing out on so many blessings. There's just, there's just so many opportunities that, that you can have to serve, um, whether it be in the children's ministry or running a camera here on Sunday morning or whatever it is, find your place to serve because the blessings that you get back are so much more than, than what you realize. So we thank you very much. So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that, that's the announcement piece. Now I get to tell you all the stuff that Roger didn't say. Uh, he's been here for 28 years, right? He served on the LBA. He served on the local board of administration. He's been the vice chair, which means that he's part of the reason that I'm even here, that we're even here as a family. And as you know, you've seen him involved in just about every single way from ushering to greeting. They serve in the nursery. Roger and Sandy have literally done just about everything in this place. And so here's the statement that I would make. Without the commitment the faithfulness, the fellowship that they've shared without their generosity, without their good deeds, without their willingness to share, none of us are here today. That's the impact that they've made to this church. That's the ways in which they've done, and they model and exemplify every single thing in that verse to the extent that I might still have one of your shovels in my garage. I think that's true. 
And the beautiful and wonderful thing about this is that we have been praying with them. We've known this is coming. We've known that God has a next step for them. And so we as a church are at a tremendous loss. That's absolutely true. But fundamentally, we get to celebrate and rejoice because the kingdom of God advances. Because if there's one thing that I'm incredibly sure of, it's that God has been leading and guiding and directing them throughout this course and that we're grateful for their involvement here and that we want to bless them as they go forward. So, in means of doing that, we have a little gift for them. We could never repay your generosity or all the things that we've done, but we hope that you get to carry the story of the porch and your work here with you. So this is a lantern, and it happens to be yours. And it's, there's a little engraving on the front that we just thought was so perfect. It says, we are blessed by his light and his love, which is one of the things that we say we stand for, to shine the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And so our hope is that this has a special place in your office, in your home, whatever it needs to be as you go, and that you know that when you light a candle, when it goes in here, when you see this and think about this, that not only are your thoughts and prayers with us, but our thoughts and prayers are with you. So thank you so much for your service. We love and appreciate you. I'll give you that and one of you this, and uh, would you guys just thank them for their service and their time here. shine the light and the love of Jesus by their good deeds, by everything that they've done, and we are all representatives of that. We're here because of the light that they've shown and the light that they go, and so it may be weird to honor them in the middle of the sermon, and so at the risk of missing the application for what we've been talking about and the risk of not honoring them, I want to tie those two together. And I hope that's clear that because of their actions, because of the way that they exemplify this biblical leadership, we all have a tiny bit of that light within us. And just as he challenged us to do, when we shine our light by the things that we do, that light is, is, uh, is multiplied tenfold over and more and more people are drawn to what God is doing here. So again, when we're rich, when God entrusts us in those ways, that's good and honorable and true. But don't just be rich as the world sees it. Be rich in good deeds. Be rich in leaving a godly legacy and a godly heritage. Be rich in the things that you participate in and give your lives to. Because by those things, by the good deeds that we do, by our generosity and our willingness to share, that's how the gospel goes forward. That's how we shine the light and the love of Jesus. And whether you're at this church or at another church, as Roger and Sandy get to go and bless another incredible congregation, we get to take the light and the love of Jesus with us wherever we go whether that's another church, whether that's your job, whether that's your home, your neighborhood, whether it's whatever you're doing for Thanksgiving, we get to take what God has given us and we get to multiply it tenfold over. That's why I'm grateful for Roger and Sandy and why I get to embarrass them just a little bit because there's no part of them that wanted to come up here and to hear me say that about them. You all know that, right? So it is with us. When we serve, when we have that opportunity to pour ourselves out, we don't do it for the accolades. We don't do it for the recognition. We don't do it to check our box to say, I did my good thing this week. We're changed and we're transformed by the model of Jesus. And because of that, we pour ourselves out. We let our light shine. We do good. We're rich in the good things that we do. We're generous and willing to share. And by our good deeds, our Father in heaven is glorified. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray?
Heavenly Father, God, I'm grateful for this message from your word, and I'm grateful that we have such a ready example to follow in it. God, we're grateful for what Roger and Sandy have given to us and given us as a church, God, and we want to bless them as they go forward. Heavenly Father, but we also want to carry your light within us and that light that they shown, the example that they gave us, that they're just reflecting your son, Jesus. And as they reflect Christ, so we reflect Christ in our actions. And God, challenge us this week as we go to be thankful, as we go to hang out with friends and family and acquaintances, God, we would take your light and that we would shine it in that room. Not through necessarily our words, not through necessarily uh, the things that we say, the conversations that we have, but through our actions, through the way that we serve, through the way that we love, that we would be generous, willing to share, and that we would be rich in the good deeds that you have given us to do. Heavenly Father, we trust all of this to you, that you would complete that work within us, that you would work in our hearts and our spirits to glorify you by the light that we shine. And we ask your blessing on us as we do that. All God's kids said,